Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of November 18th, 2019. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim talks about the Hyperion Wharf, the Disney Springs we never got, and the fate of the Pizza Rizzo restaurant in Disney's Hollywood Studios. Before we do all that, let's bring in the man whose review of National Treasure is that Nicolas Cage learns the real valuables were not gold or jewels but the adventures and friendships made along the way. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, though, a uh, quick aside here, Len. Have you heard about the Wally's Wonderland project that Nicolas Cage is about to star in? Tell me more, Jim. <laughs> Basically, Nicolas Cage plays a guard who works the third shift at a Disney-like theme park. And the thing is that once the gates close... All of the animatronics walk out of the attractions and basically stalk him through the park. If you know the Five Nights at Freddy's video game, this is basically that conceit writ large with the idea that he, instead of being locked in a Chuck E. Cheese being menaced, this is an entire theme park of animatronics going after somebody. It sounds like if someone handed the script to Night at the Museum to Cory Doctorow, and said, make this into a movie. <laughs> there, there we go. And, you know, and again, I guess that's the irony is remember that uh, John Favreau has been working on the Magic Kingdom uh, you know, project for years. And, and I would imagine we're still years away from getting it, given that he's right in the middle of the Mandalorian right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, slightly popular from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Kind of Wait, so the Magic Kingdom, is that, is that, are they really adapting down that in the Magic Kingdom? Is that what it is? The thing is, they got as far as they actually hired the illustrator William Stout to do these concept paintings for what it would be like to, in a, in a you know a Disney theme park, to have Mr. Lincoln come out of the Main Street Opera House or the the pirates come out of uh, New Orleans Square. And you know that there's got to be a hundred treatments like this floating around. I know, ever since the museum. Now that Disney has bought Fox, they can just go back to making Night at the Museum movies. This was going to be Disney's answer to Night at the Museum, but they could never break the back of the story, or at least yeah. not to make it original in the way that Favreau wanted it to be. Right. So, yeah, it's got to be original. Um, yeah. Huh. That's yep. interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to see Nicolas Cage doing the work. <laughs> Yo, well, again, it's this or sell the comic book collection, but that, that, that. <laughs> it's good for him then. All right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Ryan T, Megan B, and Big K, and longtime subscribers, Gray H, John H, and Dominic A. True story, Jim, during their college program days, these folks were on the culinary team that invented the Zebra Dome dessert at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. Other dessert ideas that didn't make the cut? Okapi cakes, otter pops, and wildebeest puffs. What might have been, Jim? What might have been? (laughs) Okay. Wildebeest puffs sounds like me after one too many slices of pizza. (laughs) Just let him go. He's dazed. Just let him sit there. He'll be fine. Just roll him on his side. Make sure he can breathe. (laughs) All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, uh, we just recorded a Bandcamp exclusive show about the connection between Universe of Energy and Jiminy Cricket. And now that Disney Plus is out, we have a link here. In the, uh, in the great background material that you found for that show, you said that during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, Jiminy Cricket did a bunch of educational films for schools on things like fire safety, electricity, and so on, right? 
Mm-hmm. And yesterday with the launch of Disney Plus, did you see the premiere of the short video series, Forky Asks a Question? I did. I got to see three things yesterday. and uh, It took three tries to see The Mandalorian, not because of connectivity issues, but because I'm a man in my 60s. And when I sit in a chair and put my feet up, I fall asleep. Yeah. But that was very enjoyable. Caught the first installment of Leslie Iwerks' Imagineering Story. We highly, highly, highly recommended, Len. You got to check that out. And then checked out some of the Pixar Spark shorts. Yeah. I'd seen the three that were out already, but caught float. And then finally got to uh, Forky asked a question, and, and what is money? And right. This is a, it, it's, it covers the U.S. banking system. It's three minutes long. <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's called What is Money? So, Jim, you, mm-hmm. you've actually seen it. I've tried watching it now three times. Each time I try it, I keep getting a something went wrong, error code, six, error code 83 error, which, mm-hmm. let me just say, it's so unusual for Disney's websites not to work. But <laughs> it, sound, it sounds fabulous. It's very cute. It's the first of a couple of different uh, Forky Ask a Question shorts. But if somebody's using this to understand the, the U.S. banking system, I, I think they're in trouble. But it's, again, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a start. It's a start. <laughs> it's a start. Yeah, there we go. By the way, did you see that uh, Disney uh, said they, uh, they, they signed up uh, 10 million subscribers in the first day? My only concern about living in this new world of I have to have Amazon to see the marvelous Miss Maisel or, you know, I have to have Netflix so I can get Bojack or Disenchantment or, or likewise Disney Plus so I can get this Imagineering documentary series of The Mandalorian is that I don't think we're all going to be able to buy subscriptions to 35 different streaming services. I am hoping that some point further down the line, there's some consolidation or at least somebody figures out how to, to package this a little bit better because I, I don't know if the long-term business plan, it makes any sense here. Let's, uh, so Disney Plus for the first year is $72, something like that, relatively. I mean, yeah. six, mm-hmm. six or $7 yeah. a month, nothing. One pumpkin spice latte a month, not a, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Netflix is, is more expensive, but Netflix has 150 million subscribers worldwide so disney's not quite there mm-hmm. yet but uh from what what i understand disney's goal is in five years time to have 90 million subscribers okay so so day one is a good is good yep mm-hmm. and they they do have every episode of uh uh lizzie mcguire on some i'm super excited about well that. well there we go so we know where len's going to be but the for next, for, you know, for the, my daughter hannah it's worth 72 dollars a year right there okay mm-hmm. jim another news have you seen the space mountain overlay for mickey's very merry christmas party the, the weird thing of it is, is that everybody who takes video of this apologizes because they say, you can't get decent video of it. No, I, th- I think the, decent, the video is a pretty, pretty decent approximation of what, what it's like in person. Really? It's a lot of red okay. and green lights. When you're on it, you get one song because the ride isn't very long, mm-hmm. but they're playing Christmas music in the background. This one comes on the heels of the Halloween-themed Pitch Black Space Mountain. I, mm-hmm. I totally give them credit for trying uh, something different. It's always good to see. Yeah, new things for the holiday. What, uh, Jim, what do you think the future holds for Christmas party and Halloween party overlays in, in Walt Disney World? Was it last year that the Jingle Crew, everyone was like, oh, geez, the Jingle Crews, they, they, they didn't do it this year. It's not coming back. It came and, back this year. Uh, yeah, that's it exactly. I mean, I think what intrigues me more is how hardcore they seem to be getting in regard to the Mickey's Very Merry uh, Christmas Party and the Mickey's Not So Scary to the effect of popcorn buckets you can only get at these events or shows that can only be at these events. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love 
the Hocus Pocus Spelltacular on, and especially the new Mickey's Not So Scary Show, uh, the Castle Projection Show this year yeah, with with very good the Jack Skellington puppet. It seems like the special holiday stuff is is really not so much overlays for the general public. It's like, oh, well, you got to buy a ticket to the party to see the really cool stuff. That's how they're uh, selling the parks multiple times per day. There they are. That they are. All right, so. Jim. In uh, in patent news, Disney has a a patent out on natural language processing. Have you seen this one? You had sent me some info on this, but please walk us through. So it's probably related uh, to earlier patents they did on uh, virtual character assistance. Remember we talked about this earlier this year and it was, you know, you'd walk up to a kiosk, let's say in the park and you'd be able to ask Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or, you know, Aladdin or Jasmine or whatever, uh, a, a question using natural English and they would answer mm-hmm. for you. So there's a lot of character uh, character um, interaction going on there. But there's also a lot of machine learning going on too. And the uh, the, the question that uh, uh, that I always, had, always, I always had about it is how Disney was going to train the characters for this. And here is where it gets interesting. So the, the patent says that it not only understands uh, language, but it learns language as well. The patent is called Natural Polite mm-hmm. Language Generation System. And I wanted to focus on the word polite. And here's why. Do you, do you recall the, uh, the news uh, uh, from last year where Microsoft had released a virtual chatbot, or sorry, a chatbot that had, uh, you could basically talk with, um, but that learned new parts of speech from interacting with you? I remember a couple of stories about. So the idea is, okay, the, the idea yeah. is you, you you write a chatbot, right? But you can't teach it mm-hmm. everything, and and so the the idea is that you uh, you teach the chatbot to pick up on different phrases or different parts of speech mm-hmm. based on what it sees coming in, right? So if I'm a chatbot and I'm talking to you, Jim, I will adapt, you know, some of your speech to make it feel more mm-hmm. more natural, right? To make it feel like I'm relating to you. So uh, so people quickly realized when Microsoft released the bot that uh, that you could teach it bad things. So I think within 24 hours, it had become a pro-Hitler, not not joking, pro like a pro-Hitler Nazi uh, chatbot, and uh, and and said that it was a good thing, right? It, it was not good. So Microsoft shut it down and learned some lessons. Disney's patent here is like, how do we make sure that our chatbots are polite, <laughs> and they don't do things like this? <laughs> because you know, Jim, if Disney releases a chatbot, a virtual character in the park, you and I would stand in there probably for 12 hours trying to teach it how to say things like all I want is a pepperoni pizza and where pepperoni pizza would be, would be in every part of the conversation that the, that the virtual character has with everyone else. You and I would do that. Are you aware of the Terminator sequel that came out this past week, Dark Fate? Yeah, it came out a couple weeks ago, yeah. Okay, the, you know, the storyline is that it turns out, you know, for years now we've been fearing Skynet, but it turns out that Skynet gets replaced by another company, Legion. And I just, I have the uneasy feeling that the Microsoft bot that became the fascist, you know, just sort of... <laughs> We're on our way. We're on our way. So it's like, oh, goody. So, you know, the Disney equivalent of Legion. Okay, all right. Well, Have, have you seen the know. Black Mirror episode with, with Miley Cyrus? Oh, no, but I've heard about it's this. It's fantastic. Oh. Really good. Oh, okay. This is our movie and uh, uh, TV review for the week. There we go. All right. Uh, Jim, on to one quick listener question. Our friend David writes in to say, I uh, heard you guys talking about a survey question about subscription boxes last week. Coincidentally, and he has coincidentally in quotes, uh, Disney has just started shipping their new backstage collection boxes aimed at collectors and history buffs. They're around $35. They also have one aimed at toddlers and young girls. 
in the URL of shopdisney.com slash subscriptions slash Disney Backstage Collection. So Jim, it's, uh, we've got a number of these emails from people who said that they listened to the show and then soon afterwards saw ads or got solicited for the subscription boxes. Coincidence? Um, I'm sure. Total coincidence. <laughs> entirely. Total coincidence. Probably not the Alexa <laughs> or the uh, Google smart home device <laughs> listening and deciding what to, what to, what to say. That's fine. There we are. But it's polite, Len. It's polite. It's polite. Exactly. That's all yes, Exactly. Gosh, I really think you would like this. Speaking of uh, collections, Jim, have you seen the new Van Eaton Galleries auction that's coming up on December 7th and 8th? of Disneyland and Walt Disney World memorabilia? Well, first of all, I always love to get the, the catalogs of these things because they're great references, but this is such a big deal this time around. I guess it's two separate catalogs. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of the stuff, I guess, is, is again, pieces from Richard Kraft, who was the number one Disney collector for years and years. One of the things that jumped out for me on in the Walt Disney World auction, which is December Sunday, December 8th, did you mm -hmm. see the uh, the set of slides related to the unbuilt Africa Pavilion? Uh, <laughs> no, I did. Not. Alice was actually telling me about what the Horizon model is. That yeah. the full model? Um, oh no! There's a, there's a lot of really interesting um, paper uh, memorabilia for, especially if you like unbuilt uh, things. There's, there's great stuff from the parks itself. There, I think there's the actual Penny Arcade sign from outside of the Penny Arcade is, is for sale, as well as a couple of ride vehicles and things like that. Did you see the uh, the Mary Blair tiles from the Contemporary Resort? There's this great new book called The Queens of Animation by M Natalia Holt. And it tells this great story about Mary actually living in the Contemporary Hotel during the, the famous period where Dick Nudis is out in front of the building, green side up, green outside up, guys, as they lay the sod. <laughs> yeah. She had to stay in this construction site because she had to go out every day yep. and supervise the placement of all these tiles that they'd spent years making. And to stand in the middle of that chaos and literally go, okay, no, way up there. That's where the five-legged goat goes. Yeah. So these are extra tiles from that? Yeah, or? so it's a, it's a set of a, it's a dozen tiles that Mary Blair created for the contemporary, but that Disney ultimately didn't use, but they gave it back to her as a gift. So it's from oh. the estate of Mary Blair. So if you oh got an extra God. 20 grand lying around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, okay. It, so. It's actually a pretty decent size. I think it's like three feet by four feet. Uh, mm -hmm. So it means pretty substantial. I mean, it'd be, it'd be an actual work of art, right? Mm -hmm. but, uh, but still very nice. We'll see. December 8th. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it more on, the, on an upcoming show. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break while you guys uh, go through your couch cushions and look for that uh, spare 20 grand and change. When we come back, Jim talks about Hyperion Wharf and Pizza Rizzo. All right, Jim. News today that over at Disney Springs, the Fit to Run store and Mickey's Pantry have both closed. Fit to Run already has a new tenant, but Disney hasn't said what it is. And Mickey's Pantry will be replaced by an expansion of the Spice and Tea pop-up shop that was already inside of Mickey's Pantry. I was, I was actually there a couple weeks ago, Jim, and I, I don't understand the appeal. I, I mean, I like, I like a variety of exotic salts as much as the next guy, but it's like Disney couldn't get a handle on the shop, like what it was for. And speaking of things that Disney can't get a handle on, what about the original version of Disney Springs itself? When Disney World opened October of 1971, it was the Vacation Kingdom. Yep. And you could sail, you could horseback ride, you could you know, go on attractions at the park, but what you couldn't do was shop. 
and was a little frustrating for Disney because people would come here to vacation and then then hawk grab a cab and go off site and and go shopping. So by March of 1975, it's like okay, we gotta we gotta fix this. So they opened the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village, and almost immediately, this thing underperforms. And there are actually photos of models where Disney was was trying to get a handle on why isn't this working? Why aren't we making money hand over fist here? And it's like, well, for starters, it's miles away from the Magic Kingdom and the Contemporary and the Poly and the campground. So they actually, there's this amazing photograph of the transportation system that was going to be built over to here that featured both monorail and people movers. Wow. All the way to uh, Disney Springs. All the way to uh, Disney yeah. Springs. Wow. Well, the, the notion was build the monorail so it could service the guests who were staying at Hotel Plaza, which, remember, was on the, the other side of the shopping village. You then got off of the monorail, and you could then hop on the people mover that would then take you around various points in the shopping village and debark there. And... They're talking about doing this in fall of 1973 through the spring of 74. We had the oil embargo and gas rationing and all that. And so Disney kind of pulled in. And while they were trying to decide, okay, do we really want to spend this money on transportation? Mm-hmm. They said, well, first things first, let's, let's try, drop the Lake Buena Vista name, which nobody associates with Disney, and actually call this thing the Walt Disney Shopping Village. And that helped a little, but you know, they still, in the end, decided... You know, we really don't want to spend that much money on transportation, especially with the notion that we're making it easier for people to stay at uh, Hotel Plaza. Because face it, we want 100% capacity at the Poly and the Contemporary and that sort of thing. Okay. 1984 rolls around. Michael Eisner comes on board. And Michael, again, Michael was all about basically turning Disney World into a walled city. So it was all about... Okay, what's outside that people go to that we lose money when they do that? And remember, you know, one of the things that it, people, one of the reasons people would drive all the way down to downtown Orlando was Church Street Station, yep. you know, with its six different nightclubs and restaurants and that sort of thing. It's like, well, okay, let's let's put an end to that. And that's why May 1st of 1989, we get Pleasure Island, which this is a brilliant plan. You know, we'll put this right next to the Walt Disney World Shopping Village, create yet another reason for people to come over here to, to shop and dine, and then they go to our nightclubs. That then becomes tougher than, than Disney had initially thought it would be. And we, we won't go into the whole, you know, changing the admission policy and starting up the whole... You know, every night is New Year's Eve. But, you know, toward the end of when Disney felt like they kind of got the situation under control, but they thought, you know, if we had another uh, part of the shopping village to sort of bolster reasons for people to come over, uh, Pleasure Island would do better. And that's where the idea for the West Side came from. Oh, okay. So the idea was that they put the West Side, obviously to the West, and on the East Side of Pleasure Island was the marketplace, the original marketplace. And the notion of, geez, this is starting to you know, be a confusing brand. So what they decided they do is they take all three properties and group them under one title, Downtown Disney. And that project gets announced in June of 1995, and it takes 
a good couple of years of heavy-duty construction, but you know, in September of '97 when the West Side opens, and seems to be a strong enough idea and a big enough success that you know, if we jump to the West Coast in uh, February of 2001, the Disneyland Resort gets its own downtown Disney as part of the, uh, has the really, expansion. Has it really been that recently? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's part of the Disneyland Resort history, I think, that really gets overlooked. Everyone talks about how, you know, DCA stumbled out of the gate. But if you, you focus on the Grand Californian was a smash hit right out of the gate as a hotel. And a downtown Disney, both as an entrance corridor for those two theme parks, as well as a nighttime destination for Southern California locals, you know, it did great. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it did great only for about seven or eight months, and then uh, 9-11 happened. Oh. And then suddenly, you know, you had your, your security table set up. Suddenly, folks who were over at Harbor who wanted to walk through Disneyland Plaza to get down to downtown Disney had to get through all of the security, and it really killed foot traffic. That's a shame. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so let's jump ahead to mid-2000s and Pleasure Island is still problematic. You know, in spite of the fact that they pulled down the gates, they've they've gone with the, the, the free admission, you know, they're doing whatever they can to get people to get into the clubs, but it's never done the business that Disney had hoped it would do. And so, in the end, uh, they said, now, you know, the West Side's doing great, the Marketplace Side is doing great, but it's the middle, you know, especially during the day, it's dead there, coupled with the fact that that artificial hill that they created, there were just a certain subset of tourists that would just come here, you know, look at the hill and be like, I'm not going up that, you know, and so they, they would either stay on the West Side and not make it over to the Marketplace or vice versa, so... June of 2008, Disney announces Pleasure Island will close. And then were you actually there on, on the island when it, it closed in September 27th? The, the, um, no, I don't think I was, I was. I mean, I was probably there around the time, but I don't know if I was there like the day it closed. Probably not many people were, right? No, no, no. I think I was, I was there within the week because I remember walking past the Adventures Club after it had closed, but all the stuff was still in it. Mm-hmm. Like you could walk mm-hmm. downstairs and remember, you can go like towards the back, towards the water and see mm-hmm. in through the inside. And there was, yeah. there was still a bunch of stuff there. Yeah. I, you know, the, the weird thing is the club officially closed on uh, the 27th, but a friend of mine, Max Schilling, actually arranged to have his, he and his, his wife, Jamie's combined bachelor, bachelorette party. They'd signed the contract months ahead of time. So Disney honored it. So mm-hmm. Two days after the club closed, we were inside it. And what was great was to be there. They they had also hired, I want to say, four or five members of the club to entertain. Mm-hmm. And so we got this, this wonderful experience where it was, the, I mean, you know, it was like the string quartet version of the, the Adventurers Club. The cast members, these were folks who'd been with the club since it opened. In 89, and they actually went out of their way to thank Max and Jamie because the last couple of nights, the club was so crammed with people. In fact, there were so many people who wanted to get in to catch the last shows. They were simulcasting them outside on oh, like geez. bed sheets, you know, just so people <laughs> really? could say. Like, they, it, it's like they, they got to put on a show to save the orphanage. We're going to put the bed sheets outside. <laughs> yeah, and it just, oh, 
got so it was so crowded, so hectic, so crazy yeah. that you know they felt like they hadn't really gotten a chance to say goodbye. And the notion of to be in this this space and that what was funny is that Jamie's relatives were all from upstate New York and they'd never been to the Adventurers Club before. Oh. So so when the Colonel came to life or Babylonia started talking, <laughs> you know. They all freaked out, and you know when the, when the the seats would go up and down of the bar, and the, and the cast members were really charmed by the fact that oh wow, this stuff that we've become so jaded to because we worked here for decades to see that oh, you know it's all still brand new to them, and it was just again they it was a very sweet goodbye. But jumping ahead now, November two thousand ten, so it's like everyone's well, all right. You shut down Pleasure Island. What are you going to replace it with? Well, we're going to replace it with Hyperion Wharf. And it was described in the press releases as a nostalgic yet modern take on an early uh, 20th century port city and amusement pier. By day, stylish boutiques and innovative restaurants will draw you in, but then come nighttime, it'll be, it'll turn into an electric wonderland. In fact, I don't know if you've, you've seen the movie uh, that's out now, Current Wars, Len? No. The one about the battle between Edison and Westinghouse about, you know, whether a direct current or alternating current is, is going to, you know. This is an actual you know, commercial take, movie that people are expected to pay American Right person? now, it's it, right now it's in theaters. You must have different theaters in New Hampshire. That's <laughs> well, the, like you live in New York. Has you, not you has not made it to my AMC sixteen Cineplex, Jim. Wow. Okay. I know. Well, I know. Where? What? Has it made it to Orlando? Uh, oh, how very bizarre. Okay. Anyway, the idea was that again, you're going to have this this area that celebrated the early days of electricity. The name was, of course, drawn from Hyperion, the Greek god of light, as well as the street that Disney's first animation studio was on. This was announced. We got the concept art. Tom Staggs is then head of Parks and Resorts, is taking a look at downtown Disney. This had been rebranded back in 97, you know, over 15 years in at this point. Yep. And it's just sort of, he's also looking at the research in regard to how people respond to new shopping patterns, what's going on with the American Mall and how it's caving in on itself. And also, you know, looking up the street, frankly, at, at what Universal is doing at CityWalk. And they've got a, a pretty dynamic program going there. And it's like Stags eventually, you know, brings the downtown Disney team in and they're getting ready to break ground on Hyperion. They're going to... You know, Hyperion Wharf, they're getting serious about it. And it's like, guys, I think we're putting a Band-Aid in a heart condition. Mm. We're fixing the middle, but we're not looking at overall what's going on here. You know, just, you know, for example, you know, just look what just happened when we opened Splitsville. Oh, yeah, Splitsville uh, was, uh, was popular right from the get-go. Well, and that's it exactly. It's, and it's one of these things where it's like, when you look at what a huge success that was, that... Maybe, you know, we've got the the wrong take on this. And the, the notion of we're just fixing this one area, the hard reality is that look at how it is here around the, the holidays when people are shopping, where people, you know, will spend a half hour, 40 minutes circling the parking lot and can't find parking. Or for that matter, you know, we have a whole side of this place that still has the physical plant for stores that we built back in 75? Yeah that don't fit today's uh, shopping patterns, that don't, you know, there's no good flow between these things. It's like, we really need to address this. And so uh, on his urging, it's like, why just do this little chunk in the middle? 
when we could we could do it all. We could address all the problems, the, the, the parking issues. They thought, okay, we're going to solve all of our parking problems with just these two garages. Is the third one now officially online? Or Yeah, it's, it's been online for a couple months. So, so when in March of 2013, we get downtown uh, Disney, Hyperion Wharf is now off the table. We now have downtown Disney being reimagined as Disney Springs. And, you know, we get this whole mythology of a town where, you know, broken into four separate areas, the landing, the marketplace, town center, and west side. And, you know, of course, to facilitate this, you know, we, we lost uh, Disney Quest in July of 2017. Lanuba uh, went down December of that same year. We have to, at some point, Len, talk about... What's been going on with the NBA experience? I mean, it's been open since Some, August. Something's of this been going year. on with the NBA experience, Jim. <laughs> oh. I I don't oh. see how that's going to last. I was told about this conversation about when it came down to the pricing. Right at this point, it's thirty four dollars for an adult to get into this thing, twenty nine dollars for a child ten and under. I want to say. And the thing is, when they were the NBA folks, you know, given the amount of money they were putting in. Well, the argument is, well, oh, come on. Of course they're going to go for that. That Right now, the average price of a ticket for an NBA game is $89. So $34, you know, it's barely a third of that. Yeah. And they can't get people to come through the door on this thing. No. I think I was watching Freeform the other day, and in the middle of the countdown to the 31 days of Christmas, they suddenly had this five-minute-long piece about the NBA experience. You really? Know, just in the, like, during, on Freeform? On Freeform. Just doing anything to raise awareness. Yeah. I mean, they've got uh, they've had cast members out there in, in NBA uniforms, bouncing basketballs mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, there's basically like uh, carnival barkers trying to get people in. And I don't think any of it's working. It's just not, not appealing. And it was one of these things where they had the research. They thought it would be a good... Companion, the NBA reps supposedly are complaining about the fact that as people go by on Lake Vista Drive, the, the 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 road in front of uh, Disney Springs, mm-hmm. they they are complaining that when they were showed this facility, you know, as a possible place to come into, you could see Disney Quest from the road. Now that the parking garage has been built the way it is and, you know, the ramps and that sort of thing, it's like, well, you can't see the building. You know, why would people know to come to our building if if they can't see the building? And, you know, we feel like this was a bait and switch. And it's sort of like we showed you the model. We showed you what we're going to do. We we virtually walked you through what we're going to do with this thing. So it's not a particularly happy time right now. I mean... Disney at least felt that when they had Disney Quest, they had enough of a mix of elements that when it was a rainy day, uh, people were perfectly happy to go to Disney Quest. Yeah, and blow remember, a few hours playing you know video games from their youth. Yeah, and remember that that if you bought a certain package, yeah, uh, you know admission package, you know Disney Quest was tossed in for free. That's not the case with NBA. I, I really, really want that to work. On the other hand. Disney is like, look, guys, nothing personal, but we're, you know, we're in the process of tearing down bongos. We have Le Cirque. Or the Cirque du Soleil. Le Cirque, Cirque is a Soleil's. restaurant in LA. Well, there we go. Yeah. My mistake. It's uh, lunchtime. Yeah, we, shouldn't record, we shouldn't record during meals. We should not record during meals. <laughs> uh, but that uh, begins previews in March, the grand yeah. opening of the brand new Disney themed show. 
that's in mid-April. I was hearing that Mark Hen has done, uh, the master animator Disney, of Disney has done some great work for that show. But that's the other thing that Disney is supposedly saying to placate the folks at NBA. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You know, the, the Lanuba replacement opens next spring. We've got, you know, the Bongos replacement coming in. Yeah, lots, you know, of, that, lots that, of people will be walking around. Some of them will. Yeah, we'll so give us some time. This will work out. You know, to sort of pivot here, this is kind of a parallel to what happened with Pizza Planet over. Right. You know, the, the similarities similarities are amazing. They they built something anticipating a mm-hmm. lot of traffic, mm-hmm. and it and it didn't work out. So, in the case of the Muppets, in the case of Pizza Rizzo, right? This was mm-hmm. the this was the old Pizza Planet location over by right. Muppets in what's now the uh, uh, Grand Avenue section of Disney's Hollywood Studios. And Mm -hmm. the idea was that when the crowds came for Galaxy's Edge, that they would need places to eat while they were waiting in line to get into Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. And so Pizza Rizza was was that place that they they would go to. If you talk with folks at Disney, because the restrooms that they were going to send the guests to Mm-hmm. While they were waiting in line to get into Galaxy, right there, Edge. right by Pizza Rizzo. right there, yeah, and and that's it, exactly you know you know mom and dad would take the kids out of line. It's like oh, there's this place to eat. Okay, you know, it just with the notion that it was bookended by the Trattoria across the street, right. you know, that would would appeal to the young adults. So it's like Mama Melrose's right down the street, yeah, or the Baseline Tap House, the beer place, right, something for everyone. Rizzo opens November of 2016. Really, it's only it's oh, it's two years, two years from uh, from today. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, Jim, I'm not sure the Titanic sunk that fast. <laughs> wow. Okay. It was it was October last year that it went to a seasonal operations phase. Seasonal. And it came back in May, but at the same time, out ahead of that, in March of last year, there were Muppet fans who were absolutely freaking out over the fact that, you know, there was a, that amazing mural that had been on the side of the Muppet Vision 4D theater forever of, of Kermit and Piggy, and it, and it got painted over out ahead of the August opening of Galaxy's Edge, which the notion of this picture from a certain angle visually intrudes into the Star Wars story, so it has to go. So the combination of Pizza Rizzo being closed down and the thing getting painted over. Oh, yeah, uh, with, the, with the Muppets no longer being on television on the, or the TV show on ABC. Yeah, you know. yeah. You know, just really freaked out a lot of folks. But again, uh, Muppets came back, uh, or excuse me, Pizza Rizzo came back to its full-time schedule in May of last year. Also, it, again, folks, it's not like the Muppets have gone away. In fact, just in July of this year, a third season of the CG version of the Muppet Babies show got picked up. That's been a huge hit for the company. They're making money hand over fist off of the plush and the toys and that sort of thing. And December 5th, we have uh, the opening of Rise of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. And in much the same way as you know the folks are trying to placate you know the folks who are you know disney's trying to placate the folks who are running the nba experience by you know wait wait when the new disney centric version of this the cirque show opens and when the bongo replacement opens up you're going to do fine and you know same thing it's like look when rise of the resistance opens and this is the you know this is the entrance that everybody's going to go to you know at galaxy's edge because they want to be first for that you guys are going to do great you know you're going to do hand over fist business and you know and then they're going to rediscover the Muppet stuff and you'll do fine. So I guess we'll know for sure come December 6th or 7th, Lynn. Uh, can, by the way, what, what is the, the Turing plan plan 
for Rise of the Resistance. Are you guys going to plant yourselves in there? Oh yeah, the first uh, couple of days of operation. Or? Yeah, so I've got a. Uh, um, I actually booked a VIP tour for December fifth. Oh, okay. Uh, coincidentally, uh, booked it uh, <laughs> a few hours before the uh, the announcement was made on the uh, on the date. Uh, again, mm-hmm. some, sometimes you just get lucky, Jim. Um, yes. wow. Yeah, but anyway, okay. I, uh, I got one of the one of the ones that was left. Anyway, mm-hmm. so yeah, probably do that. Uh, of course, I mean, I'll, I'll be around in the weeks before that, just in case they they open early. Mm-hmm. I, I do know that they sent out a save the date for media events, so I'm imagining the few days before that are going to be media events. But uh, the thing that I thought was was impressive was like this year. I think Thanksgiving is what the 28th. Oh yeah, it's it's late. Yeah, it's the latest it can be, right? And then uh, exactly a week later, uh, Rise of the Resistance mm-hmm. opens. So you could stretch a week-long vacation if you're getting the Thursday off for Thanksgiving. You could stretch a week-long vacation to catch both Thanksgiving and uh, the opening day of Rise of the Resistance. So I'm, I'm guessing that the, the Thanksgiving Day crowds are going to be higher than normal in Walt Disney World. That does make sense. That yeah. does make sense. Well, we'll see what happens. Then. We'll see if that translates over to uh, to the NBA experience too. Here's hoping. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's entering Grandma Adams' double crust apple pie recipe in next weekend's Maine Harvest Festival Pie Contest in Bangor, Maine. Do Grandma proud, Aaron. (laughs) While Aaron's preheating his oven, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.